Um, um, if you uh, did not know this, um, the Southeast Raleigh Table is um, a United Methodist congregation, and um, the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, had rules for singing, and one of the rules for singing that John Wesley had was to sing lust, lustily. I just want to say that when we sing, you do not sing as those who are dead. You truly follow the way of John Wesley. You sing lustily with like vim and vigor. And there's something really beautiful about when we sing um, with, uh, with the level of like intentionality and thoughtfulness because it really does buoy us. It's not about a, a matter of like micromanaging our emotions or trying to create an emotional response, but um, in this way that our spirit catches hold on consonants and vowels, and then we let God do what God is going to do through all the choruses and the verses. And so uh, for being good Wesleyans this morning and singing lustily, I give God thanks. Yeah. This morning, I want to read for us um, a passage of scripture from John chapter 1, um, beginning with the, uh, the 28th verse, which is going to be a little bit odd. So I want to give you a little bit of background. Um, this is uh, the first chapter in John's gospel. John is the only gospel writer who does not have, well, also with uh, Mark, they do not have like a birth narrative of Jesus. Instead, Jesus kind of starts um, hot and heavy, offering declarations about who Jesus is. And in John's gospel in particular, um, John the Baptist, who's not the writer of John's gospel, but John the Baptist, who is the cousin of Jesus, um, offers up all this credentialing on behalf of Jesus, saying, this one who comes after me actually is the one who goes before me. I am not worthy even to untie the thongs on Jesus' sandals. Um, John the Baptist says, I can baptize you in the wilderness with water, but this one is going to baptize you with spirit and with fire. I can do things on a human level, but this one is the Messiah, the Lord. And so in this particular passage of scripture in John chapter 1, um, there are some individuals who are wondering about who Jesus is and if they should follow Jesus. And John the Baptist wants them to know that indeed there is something special about this one who is Jesus of Nazareth. And so we pick up after John has been in the wilderness, and it says this. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So he's saying all these really lovely things about who Jesus is. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. So John is speaking to um, when Jesus was baptized. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And here's the emphasis uh, for this morning's sermon. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. 
And when Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. I want to read again verses 37 and 38. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, if you ever want to know when a season is upcoming, if you ever want to know when you should get ready for fall, all you need to go do is go to Trader Joe's. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I was with a friend who is a part of this congregation, and we decided to run some errands together, and we went to Trader Joe's. And I promise you, everywhere you looked in the store, now this is mid-September, everywhere you looked in the store, there was pumpkin-laced something around you. Now, mind you, it was dehydration hot outside. And yet people were clamoring to pick up all of these pumpkin-spiced everythings in the store because apparently Bishop Joe, also known as Trader Joe, <laughs> says, y'all better get your lives ready for fall, even if it's hot outside. Now, I have to say this, and I'm, I promise you, I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, uh, 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 poo-pooing on pumpkin, because I rock with that gourd, <laughs> hardcore, okay? Which is why I'm holding my gluten-free pumpkin pancake mix as a means of holding together this tension with what I'm about to say. <laughs> my pastor sensibilities will not allow me to get swept up. Because in the back of my mind, I am always keenly aware that we should be asking ourselves questions about how Christ is operating within time and also breaking into time. So, so we believe in two types of time in the church, chronological time and kairos time. Chronological time being January, February, March, April, May. I, I have to think about what does this month, what is this month stirring up for people and how might God be operating in chronological time? But I also have to keep ourselves keenly aware, you too, because you're part of the, the life of the church, to how God might be breaking into time. How is it that when everything is supposed to be laying dormant that you might also be feeling like you're coming alive? So as, and by the way, I did not buy the, this pumpkin mix in September. I bought it in October. It's a powerful and a beautiful thing to ask the question, will all of this be the best way to prepare for this season? 
there is something deep down in, within us that prepares and anticipates transitions. And I want to say that October is an interesting month. As the days get shorter, we can feel something happening within us. At 7 o'clock, the sun is already beginning to set. At 6 o'clock, as the sun is already beginning to set, as more people will declare in this month a feeling of sadness or will self-identify as being depressed in the month of October. This month that oftentimes when we look back from December, we're like, oh my goodness, how is it already Christmas? And that this last quarter of the year, did I do the things that I felt like I was called to do? There is something about October where the pall of change causes us either to like lean in or to feel some hesitancy. This is what I mean by God operating in time. But we may not always be very clear, even as we anticipate and we can feel this transition and this change of seasons of what we really need. or what we don't really need to approach change. You know, Jesus, the, the most uh, one of the most beautiful things about this particular passage of Scripture as I've been sitting with it is that Jesus gets curious at the threshold moment of transition in the disciples' lives. Jesus begins first posture with who will soon to be these disciples. First posture that Jesus has with the disciples is not inviting them into miracles, is not telling them what to do, is not even commissioning. Jesus' first posture with the disciples is to get curious about what they want. What are you looking for? Or some translations, what do you want? Or some translations, what are you seeking after? Now, um, scholars tell us that when um, it says in the scripture that the disciples are following Jesus, there's neutrality to that. There's no weight in that. They didn't recognize how their lives were going to be beautifully wrecked by Jesus at this point in time when they're following after Jesus. They have just heard the testimony and the witness of John. And they themselves want to get to know this Jesus a little bit better because their response to the question, what do you want or what are you, what are you looking for, is like, we want to see where you stay. Because maybe when we see where you stay, we're going to know something about who you, who you are. But Jesus, I dare say, probably knew the weight of this neutral following of how it was going to turn into them being covered in the dust of their rabbi, Jesus. This phrase that comes up over and over again in the rabbinic tradition, let me be covered in the dust of my rabbi means let me walk so closely behind my teacher that literally... Their dust covers me, which means that if I walk so closely with my rabbi, when I walk so closely with my teacher, I see how my teacher walks. I see how my teacher loves. I see how my teacher extends grace. I see how my teacher um, navigates conflict. I, I live so closely to this person that not only am I covered in like the physical dust, but my life also gets to be changed and transformed by the way in which this teacher is operating. Now, the disciples might not have known when they were all up in Jesus's space what was going on, but Jesus would have known, oh, these ones who I can feel their breath on my neck. 
that before they now experience this major transition in their lives, this change in their lives, what a grace it might be to ask them what they want or what they need or what they're looking for so that this transition and the change in their life feels more like a holy interruption as opposed to a chaotic disruption. Because when we don't know what we are looking for, we don't ever get the opportunity to share what we need or what we're seeking, then we just kind of follow aimlessly without thoughtfulness or intention. What are you looking for? What do you want? The curiosity and the questioning of Jesus is a grace before any commissioning or activating miracles, there is first a curiosity about their humanity and what they need. It's such a simple question, this one that Jesus asks. And throughout John's gospel, Jesus asks a lot of questions. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is very Yoda-ish in John's gospel. <laughs> but this question, what are you looking for? Or what do you want? It's actually a weighty question. If you're having a faith crisis, what are you looking for? What do you want? When you're navigating relationships, so what are you looking for? What do you want? When you're thinking about vocational sh shifts, what are you looking for? What do you want? As a season is changing, and the tools of summer no longer seem to serve us but for the, to be the tools for winter and also for fall. What are you looking for? What do you want? This question is doubly weighty because very often we have a keen sense of what others want from us <laughs> or what, what others want for us. Oftentimes we can respond to what systems even demand from us. Or um, there are times when we live so far away from ourselves that we have a very hard time articulating what it is that we need. Socrates once said that an unexamined life is um, a life not worth living. That when we, when we never give ourselves space to actually reflect on what is it that I need? What is it that we need? It's, it's a life that is lived on autopilot without thoughtfulness or purpose. But Jesus cares to ask us. At threshold moments, what are you looking for? And what do you need? Not only to ask us the question, because Jesus also can respond to the question with what Jesus can offer. Could you this day if Jesus whispered in your ear, what are you looking for? Would you have a response? There was a lot over the course of the pandemic that was incredibly difficult and that we do not need to do a 2.0. Lord, we need no 2.0. But I will say there's one thing that, um, that I do believe came out of that time, specifically in shelter in place, that I hope we do not too quickly throw away. And that was our proclivity for many of us to actually enter into seasons of solitude and reflection and asking ourselves sometimes every three months, sometimes every six months, sometimes week to week, sometimes day to day, what do I need right now? 
there was something really beautiful about not only our ability, but also our willingness to sit with ourselves. People got clear about their work and their vocation. Some of you were like, oh, no, no, baby, this is not for me. Like, I can't do this anymore. Or you, you began to, to, to like listen to the stirring within you about um, the work or the vocation that makes you come alive. And you could not distract yourself from that stirring. People gain clarity about their faith, what they need and what they no longer need, what serves them and what no longer serves them. Some of you are sitting in this space because you asked yourself some questions, and I'm grateful. In the same way that I have to hold that there are other folks who feel called out of this place, who were called out of this place because they actually sat with those questions. What am I looking for and what do I want? The gracious dynamic, though, within um, the pandemic and during shelter in place is that that ability and the willingness to ask ourselves some questions wasn't just predicated on trauma. I don't want us to believe that, oh my gosh, we have to be in shelter in place or we have to go through a collective global uh, trauma in order for us um, to find ourselves quiet enough. But instead, might we just um, understand the pandemic to have been a collective transition? That we were faced with something that we had never faced before and it called us into seasons of transformation and also change which means that we all had to get a little bit quiet around asking ourselves, okay, in the midst of this transition, it's like when you move to another side of town, am I gonna go to Harris Teeter or am I gonna go to Trader Joe's? Will I go to the bank on, uh, Wells, uh, on uh, Falls of Noose or am I gonna go on the one on Six Forks? When you're faced with transitions and you all begin, begin to like make some, some different moves in your lives, we were faced with a transition where we had to make some different moves in our lives, but first it came with asking ourselves, what do I need right now? October is such an interesting month. This is, I'm saying this from a pastoral place, that as the days get shorter, that as more of you will um, self-identify as feeling sadness or a pall of heaviness or even depression, some of you will wonder, is this pace of life sustainable or is it not? Well, how do I want to live out the last part of 2023? As we follow after Jesus, because I believe you came here this morning not just to follow after me or Pastor Kiana or the worship team, but to say, no, Jesus, I want to be covered in the dust of, your, of, your, um, of this rabbi. Maybe we start this season, not only with pumpkin-laced things, but inclining our ears to hear Jesus ask us, Kiana, what are you looking for? Donna, what are you looking for? Austin, what are you looking for? Richie, what do you want? Because Jesus asks, because Jesus' posture is gracious, because Jesus cares, he also cares to respond. Come and see. Will you pray with me?
God, we are a time-keeping people. And we're grateful for the ways in which you operate in time and out of time. How chronologically you are a God who is Alpha and Omega. And Kairos, that your kingdom is always breaking in. God, I also love that you are a curious God. That even though you know our hearts and every word before we speak them, you love us enough to ask, what are you looking for? You care to know what we need and what we want. You care to shift and to change the things that no longer serve us and to offer up the things that make us well and make us whole, that bring us joy, that grant us grace. So God, I'm praying that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might rest upon our family here at the Southeast Raleigh table, that we might be willing to get quiet and still, to check in with ourselves in the same way that you check in with us, that we might speak our needs and our wants and what we are seeking after to you. God, we ask all of this in the name of the one who calls us to come and see. It's in his strong name that we pray.